We're becoming a nation of empathy eaters. I'm Scott Ott with Stephen Green and Bill Whittle. This episode of Right Angle is brought to you by the members at BillWhittle.com. And gentlemen, I'll tell you what set me off about this. First, I saw this TED Talk by a woman named Tina Yang, who was talking about how more and more disadvantaged youth, so-called, are being encouraged to write trauma essays in their applications for colleges and for scholarships. And these are essays that are designed to show they've made a, a, a transition from pain to progress, that they are resilient. And so they're, they're supposed to reveal like their darkest traumas so that they can have a better application for a scholarship. And, and then uh, my, my lovely bride and I binge watch these talent shows, only two of them. We watch The Voice and American Idol. And this has always been a factor on these two shows, at least during the time when we've watched them. But I, I, I'm constantly talking to the TV and therefore to my poor, uh, you know, suff long-suffering wife, um, complaining about the fact that you can't just have somebody who can sing real good who comes out there and sings real good and then they vote for them. No, you've got to lead off with a story about some sort of pain in their life. Now, sometimes it's kind of what we might classify as kind of a statement kind of pain where they're talking about their sexual identity or something like that. But sometimes it's just somebody in their family died or they have a brother who is mentally uh, challenged or whatever. But they can't let a contestant run the gauntlet of these shows without unearthing some, some agonizing aspect of their humanity so that we can be prepped to hear their ability to, as I say, sing real good. <laughs> so I would love, I would love to just see a show where called People Who Sing Real Good, and that would be it. And we wouldn't, <laughs> and, and this is why, this is why I could never be on the show. Because they would say, so uh, Scott, uh, tell us about your, your childhood. And I say, well, um, I was raised by my parents for a couple of years, but then my dad ran away from home and my mom ran away from home. And then my grandfather took us in and then he and his wife uh, raised us. And, you know, we didn't have a lot, but, uh, but he always, they always took care of us. And, and, the, and they're saying, no, can we shoot that again? Um, and we want to get a, a, a more heartfelt uh, telling okay. of this story. Get, get a tear going. Yeah, yeah you got to get how a do you really there. How do you really feel about this, Scott? And my answer would be, well, I actually, I feel pretty great because, you know, my grandparents were great parents and they took good care. No, 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 no. Tell us more about your parents who ran away. Well, I don't really know much about my parents who ran away because they ran away. So, so really, that wasn't like, I'm sure there's something deep inside my head that is remembers that, but I was three, four, five years old or whatever. I don't remember that stuff. I feel like I had a wonderful life. I'd be disqualified immediately. They would just vote me off the show because I don't have a sad story. But anyway, Stephen Green, what uh, I wondered sometimes, because on the one hand you say, okay, these trauma essays and this trend on these talent shows to make sure that you've got a, a sad, sad story that people can connect with um, that will color their interpretation of your yeah. performance. Um, maybe that's just America's natural desire to root for the underdog. 
Maybe it's just our kind of inclination to admire people who pull themselves up by their bootstraps or who suffer from, you know, through some episode of man's inhumanity to man or the natural consequences of this mortal flesh and people passing away and stuff like that. Uh, the guy who won, um, there were the three finalists in American Idol this year, all phenomenal singers and frankly the top I don't know, 10, we're all phenomenal, but they got to vote them off, you know? So, so the guy that they ultimately pick was the guy who right before his audition, his dad passed away. Now this guy mm. was a phenomenal singer. And I think he would have been in the top three if I didn't know that his dad died right before he auditioned. Do we, is this like a fundamental thing that's good about humanity, Steve, that we need to connect with people on an emotional level? Or is this in some way a manipulation of our hearts in order to override our natural analytical abilities to just evaluate somebody's performance? You know, I'm, I'm not sure that's an either or. There, this may be one of those times to embrace the healing power of and where cynical TV producers are taking uh, advantage of something innate in our humanity. And I, I use the word humanity uh, uh, correctly here, I, I I think, I hope. Give you an example of how I think that's built in. My oldest son is 17 now, and oh my God, he's borrowing the car every day, and you know, please don't get hurt. Um, but when he was about three years old, um, my wife and I had to discipline him on something. Now, she and I, at the time, when the kids were little, we would have to take turns, as we put it, being the grown-up. Because, you know, little kids do such absurd things that if somebody started to, to you know to laugh first whatever the absurd thing is and hiding him the other parent would have to step up and be the grown-up in that moment and provide the the discipline or the direction or or whatever was required so i can't remember what it was that he did that required uh, a little bit of discipline but keep in mind the situation's already absurd because he's a little three-year-old two and a half year old i guess he was three wearing just like a pair of shorts right and Melissa and I are sitting on the couch in the living room, and we hear him stomp off, right? You know, just very, very aggressively stomping off down the hallway. And listening, we could tell that he hadn't, like, gone into the bathroom or anything. He must have been standing in front of the hallway mirror, you know, where you get to see if your coat or your tie or your hair is straight before you leave the house. And then he stomps back in to the living room and he stands in front of us wearing his little shorts and and nothing else and he's managed to squeeze out just one little tiny teardrop out of this eye and in just the most accusatory voice that a little three-year-old could ever muster goes i have a tear as though so, you know we were <laughs> awful people who had brought him to this to this sad <laughs> sad state and and now we have to show him sympathy and damn it melissa and i screwed up he caught us so off guard with that that neither one of us could be the grown-up. We just both started laughing. And thank goodness he never tried that again. But yes, there, there, there is something, even a, in, a, in a three-year-old little kid, that knows that a, a, a sob story can elicit a response. It's just this sob story was so absurd that we're, we weren't going to go for it. Um, that said, um, there's something interesting that just a bit of a tangent... But I saw an article, I think it was in the uh, in the Atlantic today, that the first social media babies are coming of age. 
And you've seen a lot of this online on Facebook, on Twitter, mostly Facebook, I guess, where uh, mostly moms have been posting embarrassing photos and videos of their kids on social mm. media for the entire world to see oh, uh, since goodness. about 2006 when, when Facebook went public or went live to the, to the whole public. And these kids are now coming of age and having to do job interviews and college interviews, and all of this stuff is out there. And all I can say is, thank goodness for vanity. Uh, because Melissa and I have never posted anything of our kids that wasn't flattering to either them <laughs> or to ourselves as parents. And hardly any of that. Uh, we try to keep that stuff as, as private as we can. So, yeah, as, as far as the shows go... Uh, I don't watch the singing shows because I tried watching American Idol one time, and I liked the part when it was all the crazy people in the hallways and stuff with outfits who may or may not be able to sing, but they were out there living the dream, just being silly, absurd, and having a blast. As soon as I got to the actual competition where they had selected people, uh, I zoned out. I, I, I didn't care anymore. Uh, same thing with the, the cooking shows. If it's something with a lot of interpersonal drama, forget it. Just... Just show me the food. This is why Iron Chef is the best cooking show of all time. Uh, it's, it's just it's all about the food and how 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 skilled the chefs are and none of, none of the drama. Uh, so maybe I'm a, a bad example for this question, but show me the food. So Bill hear the, Whittle, the, the people who sing good, yeah. Bill Whittle, um, the 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 judges on these shows will often probe for this information and it gets rehearsed in multiple episodes when you're talking about the talent shows and in the same sense these colleges and universities who are you know looking for that kind of a story what's the hardship they've been through now the excuse they would make is we want to see if this person has uh, you know the kind of resilience that it'll take to overcome hardship to get through difficult times in college to do hard to do hard things basically um, but there is a uh, there's a little video that I saw uh, the uh, the channel on YouTube is called Growing with Gabby a delightful young woman who it just has some words on the screen and some music playing in the background and on the screen it says this when something racist happens but you needed new trauma to write about in your scholarship or college essays anyway. And then she smiles faintly and kind of points at the words on the screen. And so basically what she's saying is, wow, what great timing. I was working on this essay and somebody did something mean and racist to me. So now I can include that. In, in my trauma essay, but it's, it's, it's not just the things other people do to you or those like racism or, or so-called homophobia or whatever. It's, it's literally like we want to see people in pain or we can't have as much respect for them. Um, and they're literally pushing them saying, tell me about this again. Can you tell me about this again? Does anybody do that in real life? Are we like that? Is this is this just a reflection of who we are on TV or are they trying to get us to become something that we're not naturally, but we're weak to it and vulnerable to it? I kind of favor the second uh, part of that. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to get a look at the advanced screening of Disney Plus's remaking Patton. And there's a scene uh, at the beginning where, where Patton walks up the steps and stands in front of that pride flag, that enormous pride flag and says, <laughs> 
Americans love a loser and will not tolerate a winner. And uh, and, and 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 of, and of course, uh, Patton's a, a black lesbian, um, as as we all know. Um, the the cult of victimhood is how this this entire thing is is cultural Marxism is predicated on the idea that decent people will not counterattack people who they perceive to be oppressed or weak. So you bring all of the all of the attacks come in in areas where you can reply racist, homophobe, uh, misogynist, or whatever, and, and decent people will generally shut up and not fight back because they're not those things. They don't want to be thought of as those things. So this is how it works. It's not going to come through the economy. It's not going to be workers. It's going to come through the culture, and it's going to be the dispossessed. And so this entire worship of victimhood is how people who are not capable of doing anything achieve power over people who are. You simply change the metric for which you for which you measure success. You nowadays, if you are if you are strong and capable, there's something really wrong with you, and and you need to be you need to be brought down and destroyed. And and all of this is is essentially a method of recalibrating our values so that we worship and and take a knee to the kind of people that foist these things on us in the first place. So everybody's doing everything to be a victim. It's the only it's the only area that young people are allowed to compete in. They're not allowed to nobody gets to brag about being the fastest runner or or we don't keep scoring baseball games. No the high school football uh, captain, you know, is only is only celebrated if he, you know, if he brings a trans person to the prom and all the rest of this stuff. And this is how the mediocre and the and the um subpar manage to gain control over the rest of the of society by making their norms into cultural norms and and that's what this whole thing is about in, in terms of your uh, the reason that you started the story with that with that write an essay about about a trauma that you've had to show that you've overcome uh, you know diversity and hardship my response to that would be um, I'm not going to discuss any of my diversity and hardship because I've overcome my diversity and hardship and everybody dies you know everybody has dead people everybody has tragedies everybody has sorrows everybody has all of these things it's about time people started to realize that there's a difference between therapy and education and there's a difference between therapy and entertainment and there's a difference between therapy and military service and the thera the therapeutization of america by people who are no discernible talent other than the ability to talk about emotions is causing enormous harm. You know, I think what Bill just said is getting me halfway there, but what mystifies me is this. The people who are doing this, let's say the judges on American Idol, for example, those people busted their tails to get where they are. They worked incredibly hard. They had to overcome all kinds of challenges and opposition and everything. And they they are at the top of their game, so to speak. They're making good money. They have gold records. They've got all of this kind of stuff. The people who are on the shows 
are not some wimpy victims by and large. They are tough people who have got to go through a series. I mean, if you've ever had to stand up on stage in front of strangers and sing, it's it's kind of a scary thing to do. So if you can do that, not just speak in public, but actually sing in public, you, you're a no weakling. And these people on these shows are not weaklings, but I get the sense that the show's producers think that we are that we need to see this because they're saying to us kind of the meta message is i know that you are broken i know that you have yeah. dark secrets i know that you've been through traumatic things but look you can vicariously live through these people who have those dark things the problem with all of that it would be one thing if they were to say yes and now pick yourself up by your bootstraps and go out there and pursue that thing that you really care about and and you know throw caution to the wind and do it. That would be fine. The problem comes is that they don't ever want us to leave that place where every recollection of the trauma brings a rainfall. You know, it's you, you've got to be you've got to tear up every time you remember the situation. It's always got to be seen in a lens of negativity. And the difference between that and essentially, I don't know, I can't speak for anybody else, but the way I live my life is I look back and I go, you know, it's pretty darn amazing the stuff that happened. And nevertheless, I grew up happy and in love with my bride and with great kids. And I respect my brothers and feel, feel like it was a treasured opportunity to be raised by my grandparents. And all of this, my perspective on my history is is molded by the fact that I don't think it was just a random series of accidents that happened to me that I need to cry about every time I think about it. I have the sense that I was all the time in the hands of a loving God who was with me and never let me go and brought me to where I am today. And even if something else terrible should happen at some point in the future, you don't want to lose your grip on that. And when they force people on TV to cry by rehashing previous traumas, or when they force college students and say, you know, if a guidance counselor says, hey, make sure you tell the story about your, you know, closet transgenderism so that you, you know, then, and what you did to overcome that hardship, they're, they're cheapening your actual abilities. And that's probably what upsets me the most about it. Because these people on these shows, American Idol, The Voice, whatever, they're talented. They have natural gifts. They've cultivated those natural gifts. They've worked their tails off. They should be respected for their art and their craft and their performance, not because of some exterior things that happened to them over which they had no control and how they responded to those offstage, which has no impact whatsoever on our evaluation of their performance. So. Yes, I will continue to watch these shows. Yes, I will continue to talk to the television screen <laughs> and to, to correct them as we go along. And every once in a while, you find a, a contestant who's a little ray of sunshine who basically can't be probed down into a puddle of tears, but sees things um, as, as this is the life I've had this is the one I was intended to have. I am moving forward. I will triumph. I am going to succeed. And reminding me about what happened five years ago doesn't bring tears to my eyes. It brings joy to my heart when I think about where I've come from and where I'm going. 
For Bill Whittle and Stephen Green, I'm Scott Ott. Thanks to the members at BillWhittle.com for making Right Angle possible.